Amen. Well, good morning. Oh, too many cookies. Good morning. There we go. I got to get some livelihood. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. Hope you all had a good Christmas. Hope now you've created your uh, New Year's resolution to eat less and exercise more. Isn't that usually when it starts happening right about now? Uh, but uh, glad that you're with us this morning and that we can worship God together. We can hear his word together and, um, and hopefully he's pleased with what we bring him today. Um, we're continuing in 1 Samuel. David is now God's anointed king, God after, uh, man after God's own heart. And now David is entering the service of Saul, Israel's current king. So Saul has now unwittingly, by God's divine plan and power, brought his successor into his service. God works a lot of times in what we would see as irony. He works it out exactly as he desires. Uh, But there's actually more happening here than the beginning of David's ascension to the throne. And the context can actually help us with understanding what is that What is happening more? What is that one thing that is happening more? And in this previous passage, as we saw last week, David is chosen not because he looks the part of king, although he's he's handsome, he's ruddy, he's got beautiful eyes, uh, but he's chosen because he has a heart after God. And this is in stark contrast with Saul's heart, which is after his own heart and the heart of the people that he was king over. So the passage after, though, this passage, so the passage before David's anointed, the passage after is all about David and Goliath and how God defeats Goliath through David, not through Saul. And so the focus of this big section, if you want to say, is before is the heart of God and afterward is the power of God to defeat Goliath. And so how does this help us understand today's passage? Well, did you notice as Dan was talking, there's a lot of talk about the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord over and over again. And then he also talks about a a harmful spirit from the Lord. So what's the rule if something's repeated in a passage? It's probably important. So we need to figure out what, what is happening. Why is the Spirit talked about so many times? And so that's what we're going to focus on, is the Spirit of God and the two things that David brings to Saul. He brings peace to Saul. But, and it's not mentioned in this passage, but it is a result, David also brings division to Saul. Saul is gripped by fear and terror, a condition we are told that comes from God himself. Great and mighty Saul is now increasingly brought low by God. And, but why? Why would, why would he do that? And how does he do it? Well, what is it that brings Saul to such a sort tortured state? The answer is actually found in that very first verse, verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And if we look at verse 13, David is filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is with David, but the Spirit is not with Saul. Saul, God has rejected Saul as king because Saul has rejected God as his king. And the result is fear and terror. 
where there is a lack of the Spirit of God, there's actually torment. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's peace. So what happens when David plays for Saul? Saul is refreshed and he's made well. It's just like a a parched mouth in the middle of a desert. and You drink that water, it refreshes you, it makes you well. The water is rejuvenating to the soul. And so it is when a soul encounters the Spirit of God. David is the bringer of peace to Saul's life, even if it's given indirectly. Now, don't see this as God's acceptance of Saul as king. Not at all. It would be better to actually understand it as God's common grace to Saul through David. Remember, David or Saul has rejected God, and God is still showing his love to Saul. Even though he rejected Saul, he's giving Saul a peace, but he does it through David, a man filled with the Spirit of God. David gives refreshment and peace to Saul, a man without the Spirit of God. And all of that is to point Israel and us today to the true King of Kings, the King who brings peace from all calamity and trouble, if we want to use the language of the beginning of 1 Samuel. But what is peace? We talk about that at Christmas all the time, right? Prince of Peace. Peace, peace, peace. Well, peace certainly is the absence of warts, the absence of conflict, but there's actually more to biblical peace than simply not fighting. Have you ever heard of the word shalom? That's a famous Hebrew, Hebrew phrase. It means peace, but it actually means to make whole something that is broken, or uh, you could take it like a, a wall around the city. When that wall is broken, when there's a hole in that wall, the wall is incomplete, Any army, any person can walk right through that wall. There's no protection. But you fill that hole, and the wall is made whole. So peace is making the broken whole. Saul was in torment because the Spirit of the Lord was absent from his presence. But David, who's filled with the Spirit of the Lord, brings shalom to Saul through his music. Now, The music was not the source of his peace. (laughs) It's important for us to remember that. Yes, music is beautiful, right? You you listen to, maybe this is just me, you listen to classical music and you can at least appreciate the calmness of it, right? It gives you this, ah, but that's not what this is talking about. It wasn't, this, this music was not the source of the peace. The real source and it's not, it's not David's ability to play. Man, he's a great musician. That's not the source. The real source is the Spirit of the Lord. Simply being in David's presence brings God's common grace to Saul and gives him peace and relieves the torment and the torture that he is under. A thousand years later, another king, the Messiah, would come. As Isaiah prophesied, he would be the prince of peace, the prince of shalom. In Luke chapter 2, the shepherds are told that the Savior who is Christ the Lord is born and he would bring peace on earth among those whom he is pleased. But how would Jesus bring this shalom to those with whom he is pleased and what is broken that needs to be restored? 
Well, as with Saul and with all of humanity, you and I included, our relationship with God is broken. We are out of His presence. His Spirit is not with us. And even though uh, David's mere presence would bring a bit of peace of a peace to Saul, David would eventually leave and any effect of the Spirit of the Lord would be gone. But Christ, when you believe, He sends the Spirit of God directly to live and abide in His people. We don't need the physical presence of Christ to experience peace and wholeness. The disciples were worried about this. Christ says, I have to leave. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, we want you to stay. And he says, no, it's actually better for me to leave. It's better for me to not be in your presence physically. Because when I leave, I'm going to send God the Spirit to you. And he's going to dwell within you always. You don't need the physical presence of God with you. He is with you in, inside you. He is dwelling with you and in you and abiding in you constantly. Jesus is the bringer of true, perfect, and everlasting peace. He restores our relationship with God. He makes whole what was broken, and the Spirit of the Lord will never depart from us. But, you know, as you usually say, you know, but is one of the greatest words in the Bible. This is a negative side of that word. It is all true. Jesus brings peace. He restores our relationship. But as with the story of David and Saul, there is, there's another side to this. David is the bringer of peace to Saul, but he's also the bringer of division. 1 Samuel chapters 18 through 31 chronicles this division. As Saul begins to understand that David has been chosen by God as king of Israel, there's a growing rift between the two men. We're told in chapter 16, verse 21, that Saul loved David greatly. And it's this happy moment in Saul's life and in their relationship together. But only a few chapters later do we see Saul's jealousy of David begin to grow, leading to multiple attempts to kill him. This young man whom he loved suddenly now wants to take his life. David is the true king of Israel and Saul begins to understand that. David has been chosen by God and Saul knows it. David is filled with the Spirit of God and Saul knows it. The Spirit of God has left Saul and he knows it. And the rift between Saul and David just continues to grow and grow and grow. And so too it is with those who believe and follow Christ. Jesus helped the needy. He showed compassion to the sinful. He gave his own life to save rebellious sinners. He makes whole the relationship between God and those who believe. He restores our relationship with the Father. All of that is true but Christ also brings division. This is not my words. Hear Christ himself in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now you go, whoa, we just got done with Christmas. Peace on earth, Mark. Come on, man. Like, really? No, 
Christ goes on to explain what he means. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is, he, what is he saying? What does he mean by this? Well, trusting in Christ will not bring shalom to every relationship in this world. Faith in Christ restores our relationship with God, yes. He sends his spirit to live within us, to send his presence with us, uh, to live with us constantly, but there is no guarantee of restored relationship with other humans around us, especially relationships with those who deny Christ. See, Christ doesn't bring peace. He brings a sword which divides between those who belong to him and those who deny him. Now, don't don't hear this wrong. This is not an encouragement to be a jerk. <laughs> this is not an encouragement to disassociate with those who deny Christ. It is not to look down upon them as if they're lesser than us because they don't believe and we believe and we, we're awesome. We're great. We're, we know Christ and they don't. I'm better than them. That is not what Christ is saying. But it's a reality that the indwelling Spirit of the Lord is going to create a conflict with those who do not have the Spirit of the Lord, just as there was between Saul and David. For as the Spirit of God changes and transforms us, we no longer live by the passions of our flesh, but by the passions of God. Worldly desires and acknowledgments no longer guide our lives, but the desires of God and knowing and being known by Him that is where we find our greatest joy. It's going to create a conflict, a division between us and those who don't believe, especially within families. Many, even in our own church, we can testify to hurt or broken relationships within our family caused by our desire to obey God more than to obey the world. We fear God more than we fear man, and that creates conflict. The Spirit of the Lord heals and brings peace, but we have to remember as God's people, it also brings division and a sword. See, through faith in Christ, we receive peace. We receive shalom, wholeness. Not just here, not on earth only, but eternally. That is why we can have conflict. We can have people try to take our own lives. We can uh, take our lives. We can, we can have people who hate us and do everything in the power to shut us up or put us in a corner or to demean us and we could still have peace. Because the people of this world and the things of this world do not complete us. They do not make us whole. All we have to do is remember yesterday. If you're like me, I ate way too much. And in the moment, it was so joyful. And about an hour later, it wasn't so much that way, right? 
And this morning, my stomach's saying, fill me up. And I'm like, you don't need any more food. Believe me. The things of this world don't last. They're sweet for a moment. But they don't bring peace. They don't bring wholeness. All they do is lie and they leave us wanting more. It is only the spirit in which we find that peace here on earth, fully knowing that the day is going to come that we will one day spend eternity with God, either at the second coming of Christ or the day He takes us from this world and we stand in His presence. See, we no longer live for this world and we eagerly anticipate living for all eternity in God's presence. We will have troubles in this world, but we know that the one who has overcome the world and brings peace to us is Christ. We are His. Nothing can remove us from his love. And when we, f- we fail to, in those moments, we eat too much candy, too many cookies, we eat too many carbs, when we fall prey to our sinful desires, we are reminded as God's people, this is not my identity. This is not who I am. And these things... There's a good, it's good that we don't find peace in them because the only one we can find peace in is Christ. But we have to be remember, or we have to remember, we have to be prepared to remember that faith in Christ also brings division within our own family, within our friends, coworkers, fellow students, the world at large. We have to be willing, well, Christ says, we must be willing to take up his cross. Now, that, I think I've told this story before. I had a conversation years ago with a lady who had a really bad knee, and I kept was praying for her and asked her, said, How, how's the knee? And she goes, well, this is my cross to bear. And I'm like, that's not what that means. I've got arthritis in my knees and my ankles. I walk down the stairs in the morning like an old man, and that is not my cross to bear. That's just my stupidity from playing football, okay? My cross to bear as a Christian is that I need to give of my life for Christ, just as he did for me upon the cross. Now, my, my sacrifice is not, does not save anybody, for Christ has already done that. But when he says... Take up your cross and follow me. He is saying that we are to bear the whippings and the demeaning and the hatred of the world as we live a life of faithfulness and peace. It means letting go of my desires when they are exposed to me and living for God's desires, growing in that. And striving ever more day by day to rest in that peace and not get caught up in the things of this world. As Christ says, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We give of our own life. We let go of that control and what does God do? He gives us his life, his peace, his shalom. To find eternal life, And eternal peace means giving up of ourselves 
giving up of our desires and giving up of our own pleasures. It means losing our life, being living sacrifices offered as burnt offerings to the Lord. But losing our life to live for Christ means finding eternal life, eternal peace, eternal shalom in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a world that has no peace. See, Christ is the king who is the bringer of eternal shalom. So we're going to take communion here in a few, in a few minutes. We're going to be, re, be reminding ourselves of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. We have open communion. If you are a believer, you are welcome to join us for communion. If you're not, we ask that you refrain yourself. If you're, if you're 